0: Hello and welcome to The Shana Show. I'm your host, Shana Sapi, a qualified nutritionist and mindset coach. I'm on a mission to help you live a nourished life on every single level. This podcast dives into the world of holistic health and personal development. Here, I combine practical knowledge and tools with the science of behavior change to help you embody your best self. It's my aim that this podcast inspires you and provides you with the resources to live the life of your dreams. So if you're ready to become your happiest and healthiest self, you are in the right place. Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest on the podcast is Maddie Lansdowne, who is a scientist, nutritional therapist, and an emotional eating coach. So, today we're going to be diving into the topic of emotional eating. I'm super excited to have Maddie here. And we were just chatting about exactly what we wanted to speak about because Maddie also has his own podcast all about how not to get sick and die. So, he's just a wealth of knowledge in this space and an absolute expert in the health field. So, super excited to have you here, Maddie. Thank you for being here and sharing your knowledge.
1: Thanks, Shana appreciate the invite. I'm excited to go wherever we go. Yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) let's get started by talking a little bit about what first got you interested in health and how you've ended up in the emotional eating space.
1: Yeah okay first interested in health. So I guess as a kid my mum was a nurse um, so I sort of grew up with you know mum going to the hospital every day and even when I was really little the hospital was actually kind of daycare. So I lived in a country (laughs) town and I would go to work with mum not to like crash or anything, to actually just run around the ward. Wow. Yeah. So. Is that allowed anymore? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. It probably wasn't there. <laughs> I love it. Go but country towns. <laughs> yeah, totally. But it was a beautiful experience because yeah. I was around. You know, I was this really chirpy, extroverted, happy, bubbly little kid. And so, you know, I loved it, obviously, all of the attention from all of the patients and nursing staff and whatever. And so it was just such a formative chapter because I learned so many things about the universe and the world and different perspectives. And I learned how to knit and I learned how to play (laughs) play rummy cub and poker and pool and all before I was five, you know, Um, it was so cool. But I guess that's an important part of the story just because it, Uh, sort of cements a connection with medicine and the hospital and just like it was a really positive experience being there and being involved and and having my mum work there so you know looking up to my mum as well I sort of it led to me growing up and thinking like oh yeah, science and medicine is like the best thing ever Mm -hmm. so I should be involved in that in some way not necessarily having a drive to be involved in it but just knowing that like you know that's the mark of a successful person if they're involved in a hospital environment or a science or a medicine environment they're obviously good right (laughs) and so that yeah so I grew up and I was a bit of an athlete growing up so I sort of learned a lot about nutrition at least you know 20 years ago as a teenager nutrition advice for athletes which is not necessarily what I would go with now Um, and then yeah moved to Melbourne uh, to do my uni degree and I actually started with forensic science so Uh, which is something that I wanted to do mostly because it sounded really cool. Uh, When I was a teenager, when people said, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I said, forensic scientist," people would react and I'd I'd love the reaction. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I'm going to do that. Um, And then, yes, I went and did that. And then um, after that, I worked for a nutritional epigenetics company, um, which is where I sort of began, I guess, understanding just nutrition on a whole other level. Like So I I kind of graduated, I guess, as a molecular biologist and then, yeah, worked um, in this nutritional epigenetics company where I started writing my thesis and my honours degree um, in lipid metabolism, which is... And in that company, what we did, we essentially created like hyper-personalised diets for... Based on people's genome. So it was all like wealthy um, colleges and very well off Olympians and that kind of thing with a clientele. Cause it was like, yeah, we're gonna get your genetic information and then we're gonna create powders, lipid, <laughs> carb, you know, fat powders that are um, basically based on your genome. Wow. So hyper personalized nutrition. So, and then from there, I ended up in working, yeah, at uh, Peter Mac and Royal Melbourne Hospital. Um, as a cancer scientist or as part of a cancer research team. Um, and that was where I sort of, I guess, you know, had my mind blown apart basically because um, I had yeah, grown up with this connection and belief system about medicine being amazing and all of these different things only to realise that um, not many people get well inside of a cancer hospital. Yeah. Um, and that's, for most of us, not the message we're raised with. You know, you go to the hospital to get better, you know, yeah. to get to get things fixed, to get repaired, to go back to your normal life and return to health. Um, and so it took me a little while to realise that most people that walk in the door never walk out. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they do walk out, they come back with the same problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, that just sparked some curiosity into being like, why is this the case? And I literally jumped on the World Health Organization website because I was, I'd been in the the job about six months and I was like, I really should start learning about cancer, like (laughs) on a really (laughs) fundamental level. And so I thought, I'm going to start from the front door basically. And the first sentence on that page, on the cancer page, and this was probably more than 10 years ago now, it said 90 to 95% of cancers diet, lifestyle and tobacco. And I was like, why is this building not about diet, lifestyle, and tobacco? Yeah. It seemed super logical. And the next sentence literally said only 5 to 7% are genetic bad luck, you know, molecular, SNP. Uh, mutations that type of thing yeah whereas if you speak to probably 90 to 95 percent of people they would assume it's bad luck yeah you know most you hear somebody say got cancer everyone just kind of hangs their head and goes oh you know there's that despair and the that release of air from their from them it's just like it's over you know yeah. um when yeah the, on the main page of the most western medical organization ever mm-hmm. they're literally telling us that it's 90 to 95 percent diet and lifestyle and so from that point I just went on a bit of a mission myself to figure out if that's what the World Health Organization is saying and hospitals don't look like that, mm-hmm. like what's going on? And that's where I got introduced to the idea of capitalism, which <laughs> I now know I was always a part of, but um, didn't, you know, I thought like, I guess all young naive people thought that everything was in the name of good. And, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's not that I'm now anti-Western medicine or anything like that. I just think it really should be a pit stop for most people like to pop in have temporary relief so they can get the rest of their life in order and yeah. and together and the nutrition sorted and the behavior changed and the ideas and belief systems. And there's so many layers to what needs to be done. But instead of just the idea of, you know, that convenience, it's the convenience model, right? You don't have to change at all. Just take these pills, yeah you know, and the person still suffers. Like Mm -hmm. they don't go home and they're like, wow, I feel 21 again. Like it doesn't really give you that kind of relief. It's like, oh, okay, the disease has slowed down. Mm -hmm. Maybe it even did disappear for a short period of time, but very few people leave you know, with this new sense of wellness and health and vitality and like, yes, I can really begin the next chapter of my life. So, yeah, yeah that's when I sort of went down the nutrition path and I started learning about Chinese medicine and Ayurveda um, and even Australian Aboriginal medicine and learning about all of these practices that have been around for thousands and thousands of years. And I, find, I found it really interesting that it was like, oh, so alternative medicine is really old, but the youngest medicine, Western medicine, is not considered alternative. It's considered mainstream, but it's only been around for 150 years. And I was like, and, and the fact that we're ignorant to think that we can't learn anything from that, because I think as well, modern day thinking is, implies that knowledge is linear. It says today is the most amount of knowledge and intelligence that we've ever had. Everything (laughs) before now, we were basically Neanderthals. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and so once you realize that, Oh, okay, we actually did know a lot back then. And there's lots that's been forgotten and actively suppressed. And and for all sorts of, you know, conspiracy rabbit hole reasons, (laughs) um, that you start to realise that, oh, wow, there's so much more to the human body, to health, to medicine, to care, um, to capitalism. I don't think capitalism is necessarily bad. I think that the model, we've, the version of it we've got at the minute in the health world doesn't produce healthy people. Yeah. Um, and so we have to come up with something where governments are financially incentivized to produce healthy people. Mm. Like there's there's got to be something that works there on a macroeconomic scale. But... Yeah, that led me personally to be like, eventually, I just can't be a part of the cancer business anymore. Yeah. Because I really don't think it's doing much good. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of in that time, yeah, starting the podcast as well, I got connected with cancer doctors all over the world mm-hmm. that had left the industry. And we're curing people all the time, wow. like changing people's lives all the time with all sorts of, you know, woo-woo voodoo medicine, <laughs> which, you know, to you and I is probably pretty normal now yeah. um, in different third world countries and second world countries because they're not as highly regulated, right? Like Mexico mm-hmm. and Bali and um, actually Russia does a pretty good job of alternative cancer therapy as wow. well. And so, and I was like, oh, there's a whole world of people out there that are not, just hippies. They're like highly (laughs) educated people that saw, I guess something similar to myself and decided to walk away and do things differently. And again, it's not that it's like, yeah, it's not no medicine. It's Mm -hmm. not no Western medicine. It's just, you know, we can actually balance this with you actually getting well. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. And that kind of arrives me where I am now, which is Mm -hmm. on that journey. I realized that, okay, when I walked through clinic, I was like visibly everybody's overweight. Okay, so I'm going to become a nutritionist. Okay, so I did that and got a bunch of certifications, food as medicine, nutritional therapy, different things. And then I was like doing talks all the time and people were like, yeah, Maddie, we know what to eat. And I was like, damn it. (laughs) I just did all this study. Like, what do you mean? (laughs)
0: Let me tell you to eat more vegetables. (laughs) Yes.
1: And it sounds funny because like we're in such an information age, right? And so everyone I spoke to, and I'm lucky enough to have spoken in New Zealand and Singapore and like all of these different countries, Yeah, I've never spoken to an audience that didn't know, generally, mm-hmm. meat and veggies are pretty good. Yeah. Or the chocolate for breakfast is probably not a good idea. <laughs> everybody knows that. Yeah. Like intuitively. Yeah. And so I was like, if everybody kind of knows what to eat, like what's the next step? Mm-hmm. And that's where I I guess, uh, yeah, I do what I do now with emotional eating, it's like our relationship with food, our relationship with self uh, and like, kind of like we were talking about before we hit record is like learning to get out of your own way because yeah. everybody, if we know what to do, the, the real question we want to answer is why don't I do it?
0: Yeah.
1: So, yeah, that's kind of the backstory.
0: Amazing. And I love that you're also like specializing in that relationship to food and self. Like it's something that I do help people with as well. Yeah. So I feel like this is going to be even more fun to be able to have this conversation conversation oh, totally. together yeah
1: um
0: and yeah how true is it that it's like people know what to do or sometimes there's some things they can refine and that's mm-hmm. cool too and we're there to support with that yeah but so often it does come back to that mindset and that's why I've also kind of pivoted into that because I noticed a similar theme to what you did and it's like yeah there's only so many times I can tell people to eat real food <laughs> like yeah and I can half on about it and I'll continue to half on about it because there's still people not eating real food like that's the reality yeah. but why aren't they eating real food and like yeah looking at the emotional side of why we turn to food for comfort and yeah just the way that we navigate the world and the way that we navigate our relationship with food and what's on our plate
1: yeah it
0: says so much about our relationship to self and yeah just how we feel about ourselves I feel like
1: oh absolutely and I think we're like there's so many things in the world that we're in currently Mm -hmm. that are actively and intentionally trying to mislead us so like I certainly don't blame anyone for the situation they're yeah, in, right? It's one of those not. like it's not necessarily your fault, but it's definitely your responsibility. Mm. And once you realize that, you're actually in the driver's seat. Yeah. And many people don't feel in the drive like they're in the driver's seat. And yeah. I would say myself included, you yeah. know, for a lot of my life until I realized like, oh, like I've inherited these ideas. Yeah. I just do things on autopilot that I've never even thought about, mm. you know, whether that be cereal for breakfast or whether be yeah. that, that be, you know, the idea that this is how my money's meant to be or the, or how my relationship is meant to be. Yeah. Never questioning it and being like, oh, I can actually design all of it.
0: Yeah, I get like, to choose. <laughs> like
1: what? Yeah. Like, and that can be overwhelming to people as well 100%. because it's like that's a lot of work and decisions and maybe yeah. I, I don't even know what I want or who I want to be or yeah. <laughs> like I don't have time to cook breakfast every single day as opposed to just like, you know, putting cornflakes in the bowl, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it takes, a, it takes a bit of time. That's why the personal uh, development journey is it's a journey. It takes time and it never ends. So beginning that somewhere with the realization of like, oh, I can do this differently or I can choose differently is like, that's where we all got to start.
0: Definitely. And I love that you brought that in as well because it is also about having that self-compassion along the way because Mm. it's like we've been doing something else our whole life and then we might be like, oh, okay, I know better now because I've learned. Someone told me to eat real food or someone told me I need to eat this way or like I can be healthy by doing X, Y, Z. So... Like rather than going and being hard on ourselves for not being able to switch that like flick that switch and just be like oh I do that now yeah I get eight hours of sleep every night oh I stress less like Mm -hmm. it's not that linear it's like it is that journey and like understanding that it's okay if it takes time it's okay if you find yourself self-sabotaging and there's just that inner work that you've got to keep exploring and learning more about that mindset side of things to help you actually be able to do those things without beating yourself up and just making the whole thing worse because then we end up in those cycles again where we're like oh I didn't do the thing I wanted to do I feel shit about myself I'm going to turn to food
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, and the thing I guess that we all just inherently discover on a personal development journey, um, which is both amazing and super confronting, is that the person that's the, pr- the cause of all our problems is ourself. Mm. And so we're all, ha- all of us are having this in- internal battle, yeah. right? Of like, you know, oh, I've let myself down again or I've done yeah. wrong. And we're so conditioned as a society to self-punish mm. and self-harm. Like, I know what I mean by that is mainly mentally, you know, yeah. like with severe judgment and, and you know, lashings with the kind of words we say about our body in the mirror yeah. or, or the decision we made yesterday type thing. And it, it's just that is actually part of the familiarity cycle. Yeah. Like that's the, the people don't know any different because, well, this is what I watched my mum do. Mm. And this is what my dad told me that I should think about myself or they, that's how they thought about themselves. Yeah. And then so we just grow up with this internal dialogue that's already in motion and already on autopilot and already in the subconscious part of the brain. So yeah. we're just like, this is this is how everybody thinks, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I love that idea of um, like speaking to yourself as if you're a child that you're responsible for taking care of, yeah. which is a Jordan Peterson idea. And I love it. It's written on my whiteboard at home yeah. because nobody would ever speak to a child, a friend, you know, and I mean some sometimes a family member maybe, but, you know, <laughs> children and friends, most people yeah. would never speak to them the way they speak to themselves.
0: Yeah, we can be so brutal. So brutal. Yeah. And
1: so it's like if we wouldn't stifle somebody else for making a mistake – why are we stifling ourselves? But it's yeah. this conditioning. It's like you know these neurons in the in the body and in the brain. They they're hardwired. They're thick. They're strong yeah. because they've been carrying these messages for so long. And it can feel really sort of disconcerting to venture into a space where that's not happening because your sort of personality and identity doesn't know that stuff. So it's like yeah. compassion, love, I don't deserve that. Like it, yeah. ugh, it kind of feels gross. And even some of the people I work with, maybe the mm. same with you, the idea of self-love mm. is like, ugh, like yeah. I don't love myself. Like yeah. why would I love myself, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you know, maybe it's self-respect sits it's a little better for some people. But yeah, yeah the idea that we, we we do to ourselves what we would not do to others yet We're only in our body. We're not in theirs. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I always say to people, you are literally the most important person in your life. Mm -hmm. Even if other people are really important to you as well, fantastic. They can be just like really important too. They can be really close to you. But you're ultimately like the most important person in your life. And when you realize that like you should be your number one priority,
1: Mm -hmm. that can
0: be a huge shift for people people because they've been living for other people their entire life and that in itself that's like a reconditioning that like can take time too because it's like oh wow i get to put my needs first like wait what do i even need (laughs) like we can be that out of touch with ourselves and I know I was for so much of my life so even just that and being like oh cool I have permission to like put me first now and like on that journey to self-love and being like yeah well if I care about someone if I love someone Mm -hmm. I do what they need I listen to them so it's like why aren't we doing that to ourselves
1: yeah and I think as well in that cycle of not putting yourself first is that you also condition other people around you as to how they should treat you. So it's kind of this double-edged sword or this multi-tiered belief system that you have about you not being worthy. Because it's like, one, I'm not worthy to myself of my own time and care and support and love. But also nobody around me me shows me that I'm worthy of that either. Mm. And that's another thing that we have to take back the responsibility for. Because if we have run around our whole lives putting everybody else first everyone else is just playing the game that we set them up for, Yeah. right? So they're not respecting us because we haven't told them that they should Yeah. by setting our standard for ourself. Yeah. And that's one of the really great things that, that begins to happen when you start to prioritise self and you mm-hmm. start to have the courage to be like, actually, you know what, this hour I'm going to jump in the bath. Yeah. Like, is that cool with the whole fam or, you know, whoever you're working with or, you know, around. And you start building that expectation in everybody else that like, oh, okay, he or she cares about themselves or he or she wants space or needs things. Um, And so not only does it improve in your own mind, but then the environment around you is kind of forced to change. Having said that, I also work with people that uh, have people in their tribe that react negatively to that, right? And it's like, hang on you've for 45 years you've done this and now like you're not available at this time because you're looking after yourself or you're going to you know have a manicure or a spa or go to the gym or whatever you've never done that um and and that becomes really challenging because we're fundamentally pack animals we're tribe animals and so the people at home the people at work the people in our social group inevitably will tear us down to their level unless we find some way to recruit them yeah. to our healthy mission Raise them up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or we find another tribe which is a really difficult thing to do
0: yeah it can be really scary and that's like something a lot of people do notice when they start like walking this healthy path mm. and putting themselves first like it can lead to relationships falling apart and like friendships ending and things like that because if they don't have your best interest in heart you've at the end of the day you've got to put yourself first and be like okay like it's time to just put me first and find people who do value me, who do put me first as well, who do like respect me and want me to grow rather than pulling me down. And it feels scary. Like you said, yeah. like it can feel really terrifying, but it also, when you through the other side and you're in that tribe that really is lifting you up, it's so empowering. And just knowing that there are people out there who do want you to thrive. Um, and yeah. if that's not your current reality, then yeah, either like encourage those people to come up to that level or, find new people
1: yeah. yeah yeah like which as you said you know it's the same thing with conditioning our nervous system for yeah. how we've treated ourselves if, if these this family member or these people have been around since we were 15 or 10 or 5 yeah. um, or even in our 20s you know it's like oh who, who are my friends if I don't have them and yeah. you know what if I don't have these relationships anymore and, and I guess part of that is trusting the process right that the universe yeah. will will provide but there's so many healthy groups of people that are lifting one another up. Like, you know, you and I are part of many of them, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's an abundance of fantastic people that are learning to do these skills. And nobody nobody in those groups, you know, you don't have to get imposter syndrome and think, I can't join the healthy group because I'm not healthy yet you know, or I don't fully love myself yet. It's like, we're all battling with this stuff. Yeah, it's like, a lifelong
0: journey. Are you a human? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you're, you're having these conversations in your head, you yeah. know, on a pretty
1: regular basis. It's, I think the, the skill that develops is the ability to negotiate faster. Mm. It's not that you silence the, you know, the voice in your head, the inner critic or the yeah. judge or anything. Just when that, that voice pops up, you say, oh yeah, I see you there. Yeah. I know why you're here. I know where yeah. you came from. I know what you're trying to tell me. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, thanks for being a part of the choir of opinions in my mind. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's so true. Yeah,
1: whereas I guess formally we all would have just been like, yep, you're right, you're right, I suck, I'm shit, I'm terrible, mm. I'm not going to go out tonight, I'm not going to wear that thing, I'm not going to, you know, do the thing. Actually, what I am going to do is I'm going to do more of what got me here. I'm yeah. going to punish myself with the thing that I know that I should be avoiding yep. and then we go down the spiral. So I think, yeah, it's just the ability to negotiate that gets, that gets better and better over time.
0: Definitely, yeah, and it's even that element of like the journey of self-love is loving all parts of us mm. so if we were to say oh inner critic you are awful like and just like shun that opinion and like really just be like nah, that's a terrible part of me that's kind of going against self-love it's more what mm-hmm. you're saying it's like being able to negotiate with that part see that part validate that part be like i get where you're coming from it's okay because ultimately that part's just trying to keep us safe yeah like it's just there because it's trying to keep us in our comfort zone where we love being as humans like we love being comfortable Yeah, totally. <laughs> and that's change is scary growth is scary which is why those parts in that inner critic can come up but just being like yeah cool i hear you i see you but i don't have to subscribe to that anymore like you said like negotiating with it yeah it's so powerful as opposed to like i still see a lot of stuff where it's kind of like no that part of you just needs to go like kill that part of you and it's like yeah but that's not really like full self love and self acceptance because that's still a part like even if it's not yeah. behaving in the way it should quote unquote behave like it's still just a part of you yearning to be loved
1: Absolutely. And you brought up something there too about, um, you know, sort of that triggered a thought in my mind about the way that we progress through this stuff. And I'm not sure how you work in this space. But what I find is a lot of the people I work with when we're doing the relationship with food stuff and the diet culture stuff is that diet culture has really um, conditioned people to take a massive jump off the cliff on day one. Yeah. And so if we're talking self-love, emotional eating, but even just your general weight loss diet, right? Yeah. It's like it's a it's a dramatic change on day one. And sure, you get rapid results, you know, in two weeks and you feel amazing. You might feel amazing and be really hungry. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it's that kind of diet. It's like, yeah. oh, I fit into the thing, but God, I can't wait to eat again. Yeah. But the but the thing as well that our nervous system reacts to and our personality and our d- identity is that when you are that far out of the comfort zone, mm-hmm. Is that you can't wait to get back because that far away from comfort is too far. Yeah, and you you um, trigger these real deep evolutionary parts of your brain that say, "I'm not safe, I'm not Mm -hmm. secure, and I can't be certain of what's going to happen next." Yeah, which is the evolutionary part of our brain that is used to sitting in the jungle, making sure that lions aren't coming, that tigers aren't coming, that we can locate food soon. You know, and in the modern world, when that's not the concern, we're worried about you know being judged by somebody or not getting our next dopamine hit from you know the Mars bar around the corner or whatever <laughs> the thing is right and so i'm really big on taking i call it one tweak a week mm, is that, that we've got the we've got the comfort zone and then we just take a t- tiny step on the other side of it yeah so that we can still be like all right most like 90% of my week is going to be safe secure and certain so yep. i'm not going to flip out you know um but the other thing you've got to accept doing this is that results come much slower. Yeah. Like that's, that's just the reality. I know it's yeah. not sexy, you know, I can't but
0: it's longer lasting as well. Like you said, yes. it might, you know, might not get those two week results, but it'll like take longer, but you'll have that for life.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and it's more fulfilling too. Like yeah. a lot of people at the end of it, they're just like, even if they haven't lost the weight, weight they want or anything like that, they're just like, I just, I'm just happier in my mind or yeah. my soul, or I'm just being kinder to myself. And that's, yeah. That's worth so much more. Yeah. And it's kinda like, yeah, once we get the the body healthy then if we're talking weight loss or anything like that, gut health, then that will likely follow mm-hmm. because taking that level of stress out of the system as well yeah. is so important for the gut health, your mind health, like your relationships, the way that you show up for yourself. Yeah. Uh, but we, but in my opinion, we've really got to do it at one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that one step or that one tweak for that week, yeah. sometimes that'll take four weeks like yeah. or five weeks. And this personal development stuff, I had a client recently, she said, um, she's like, Maddie, I've – I've counted up all the tweaks and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be here for five years. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> Personal development, it's its a long journey. But yeah. at least if we do it that way, we can actually, actually square things away and be like, all right, I've gone up one small step and I actually mm-hmm. really know how to do this to the point, this is my new comfort zone. Yeah. And we go to the next step and then we expand the comfort zone but until yeah. we get all the way to the other side. Whereas I think diet culture conditions people to be like, like, all right, Monday's the diet. I'm building up, building up yeah. all of this, like, ready, go. Yeah. And then it's like, don't eat the thing. Green smoothies only. Like, <laughs> you know, don't go to Friday night drinks. And then, like, they're waiting for, like, week 13 of the 12-week program when they can just be like, oh, all the tension is released. Yeah. Give me the pizza. Give me the chocolate. I weighed <laughs> in. I got the thing i got on stage whatever now i can go back to who i was before yeah um and i don't know about you but i i if somebody reaches out to me and and they inquire and say maddie i've got a wedding in six weeks i'm like i'm not your guy yeah like that's that's not how we work like i'm not (laughs) here to perpetuate more of that kind of stuff yeah and um, they're like oh really i've got to want to do it long term i'm like yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah i'll see you when you're ready for that yeah. <laughs> yeah. give me a ring in
1: five years <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like you don't go do your quick fix you'll be back
1: <laughs> how do you work within that like a uh, diet space like people coming out of that diet space conditioning type stuff
0: yeah i'm similar to you like if someone's like i need to be ready for a particular date or a particular thing it's like that's mm-hmm. really not how we work and we've got to like look at why you feel that way mm-hmm. um And just kind of like opening the door to just a different way of looking at food and a different way of looking at health rather than being like, oh, I do it because I've got this thing coming up. It's like, no, I do it because I deserve to feel amazing and I believe Mm -hmm. I'm worthy of feeling amazing. And if we don't feel that yet, then getting to the point where you know that that's the truth that you deserve because everyone does deserve to feel great. Yeah. Um, Yeah, regardless of where you're currently at, regardless of how you currently feel or whether you feel worthy or not, everyone deserves to be thriving and like healthy and vibrant and radiant <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> like all of these things um and just coming at it from that place rather than being like oh I don't like the way I look I need to change that mm-hmm. so I'm gonna go on a diet or I'm gonna seek help because I need to change because I'm not happy mm-hmm. with who I am or where I am and it's really just shining love on them and just being like yeah, okay, cool. I totally understand. I've been there too. Mm -hmm. There's times where I was like, yeah, I need to like do a diet or I need to cut, like um, cut things out or count calories. Like I've been through the whole diet culture, Mm -hmm. um, all the different things. I get it. Um, But then when you come to the other side and you realize there's so much more to food and health and just helping people see that as well, it's so rewarding, especially when like working with them and They think I'm going to be teaching them all about, like, this is what you eat, this is what you do. And it's actually completely different. It's all of, like, this inner work that we're talking about. It's Mm -hmm. all, like, that self love journey. Like, there's even stuff on boundaries that I do with people, which it's like, you wouldn't expect that when you're thinking you're coming into something for, like, emotional eating, weight loss, getting healthy. It's like, hold on, why are we talking about boundaries? But it just makes so much sense because, like, that's where we need to go. And we've even touched on boundaries already in this episode. And it just shows how important things like that, even things like communication, or knowing your own needs like we were talking about before or emotional regulation, all of these things are actually more important than like, yeah, the thing you eat on your plate sometimes. Totally, totally. (laughs)
1: Because, yeah. Eat real food. Yeah. Whatever diet template you like. Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> Carnival Vegan, as as whatever. Yeah. Like eat real food. <laughs> the emotional stuff's definitely the real work. Yeah. yeah.
0: And but. it's interesting. People come at it different ways. Um mm-hmm. and like have different journeys of arriving here and there's no right yeah. or wrong. Totally. But it's really exciting when people are ready to be like, Okay, I'm ready to look below the surface. I'm ready to look at like why I'm like on and off these diets and like on this roller coaster. Yeah. Um. And yeah, they're ready to look at that.
1: I like when you um started talking about the people that come to you that want short-term results. Yeah. I like that you said that um you know you want to look into why you feel that way.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Because it, it
1: triggered some thoughts for me about um some previous clients that were in magazines in like the 90s or even some that were in magazines of the 80s. Yeah. And they they'd show me photos of like when they were at their peak fitness or they're an elite athlete and they were like looked the best in my life felt the worst was bulimia on the back end or was like smashing donuts after this photo shoot or yeah and it's like it's funny the way that i guess nowadays it's obviously social media and Mm. these hyper sculpted bodies and like i think one thing that is understated on social media is the amount of men and women on steroids yeah like (laughs) <laughs> Unless you know what you're looking for with bodies on roids. Yeah. Like so – like it's it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. And we're, comp- we're all comparing ourselves to these bodies. Yeah. And it's like, oh, so if I just eat this – then I'll look like that. And it's like, yeah. oh, there's a few layers of secrets going into that body. Like, yeah. um, But it's the same thing. Like we're trying to chase this short-term look amazing with the idea mm. that I'll also feel amazing. Yeah, And it's interesting that at least in my experience, everyone that's been at that peak level of fitness or in shapeness, mm-hmm. if that is the definition of in, uh, peak, right, uh, like they felt awful. Yeah. Mostly, you know, unless yeah. unless we're talking elite athletes. I've got a few elite athletes, friends, that just love the sport and love performing and like, you know, that's just how they do things. But um yeah. but yeah, for many of us that are driven, especially on that superficial level of like just image. Yeah. Like if I'm happy with how I look in the mirror, then obviously my soul will be I'll full be, of joy. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> it mostly doesn't work that no, way. It's flipping <laughs> the
0: script, and that's not showing people that it's actually like, actually, if you feel amazing, if you feel healthy, mm-hmm. then you'll also look amazing. Because you'll be doing the things that need to be done to be at your optimal health, to yeah. look at, like, like, to have your dream body. Yeah. Um, and it comes, it's backwards. And it confuses us because it's, like, against everything we've ever thought. We're like, oh, no, but I've got to have it first. But it's like, actually, no. Mm. you just got to arrive at that feeling and then it flows. And then there's less resistance and then you're less attached to, like, that exact body and like having to have that for that external validation. It's more like the validation's coming from within, the feeling's coming from within, and the rest just flows. And then when we're f- at that feeling, we don't feel like we need to turn to food. We don't need to turn to all the other things. Because something I talk a lot about, and I'm sure you would as well, like emotional eating is just one vice. It's one of mm. our escape techniques. It's the same as like scrolling social media, um, binge watching Netflix, alcohol, drugs. Like many people have ways that they distract themselves and it's not always emotional eating and some people be like oh no i don't emotional eat i call bullshit on that ultimately I feel like most people do emotionally eat whether we admit it or not
1: are you in the world with sugar you probably
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly it's like it's just kind of like we were brought up to have food for comfort and sure food Mm -hmm. like it's supposed to be pleasurable yeah but there's also like a line of where we're turning to it because we're trying to avoid our emotions or we're turning to it because we want to feel good like yeah it's discerning what we're actually turning to food for yeah yeah um yeah but it's like whether it's emotional eating, whether it's social media, whether it's Netflix, like there's stuff under the surface there. And Mm -hmm. when you deal with one, you're dealing with them all. So like people might come to us for emotional eating, but then they're also watching less Netflix or whatever streaming device because there's so many, (laughs) all the things. They're scrolling social media less. They're using it more intentionally. Mm -hmm. They might not be having as many drinks after work because they don't feel like they need to escape their life. They might not stop taking drugs, like whatever their vice was that's also like a byproduct of working on the emotional eating and going mm-hmm. into this personal development journey and doing the inner work. Have you noticed the same?
1: Absolutely. And it, what, it, what I thought of just as you were talking there is that it's the idea as well with that fad diet culture of willpower, which is just remove the problem. Yeah. And as if nothing is going to fill that void. Yeah, It's exactly. just like remove the emotional vice that helped you get through the week or the day or whatever it is. And just pretend like you'll be fine. Yeah. With no support. If the chocolate supported you before (laughs) and we put nothing there, that system's gonna collapse, right? You're
0: just gonna be all (laughs) right. Yeah. So,
1: and and I think that's where we've gotta discern like um, escapism and the actual processing. Yeah. Because I'm really big on actually replacing emotional eating with another escape method Mm -hmm. with the plan to process at a better time. Yeah. Because very rarely do we have in our busy lives. The opportunity to process on the, on the spot, yeah, and very rarely do our egos want to, yeah, right, <laughs> to be like, oh, okay, it's happening now, okay, yeah. let's fix it. All right, you know, maybe you're in a board meeting at three p.m. on a Wednesday. You can't yeah. pro, you can't process. No, it's not the
0: time. Yeah, we need yeah. instead of grabbing
1: the chocolates in the middle of the table or the sandwiches, yeah. we need another escape method. Yeah. to be able to compartmentalize and allocate time later to process. And I yeah. think that that willpower idea in conventional diet culture mm. is the just escape you'll be fine. Yeah. Like and inevitably that falls apart whether it's it like does. a big a big binge a few weeks later to make up for a few weeks of willpower. Yeah. Or whether it be like as soon as I get out of this meeting I'm going straight to the cafe or you know getting up from the desk to go and eat simply as a as a you know, I don't feel like I can do this task, whatever it is. Yeah. You're trying to get away from the moment. Yeah. So I think, yeah, we've got we've got to develop healthy escape. Yeah. But also process allocation time.
0: Yeah. And make sure you actually follow through at the process allocation <laughs> yes. time. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that because I even say to people like we might think of emotional eating as turning to like the junk foods, quote unquote, like mm-hmm. and turning to things like chocolate, lollies, whatever it may be, like everyone has different vices and things they turn to. But it's not just that. There've been times in my life where I was emotional eating and I was like eating nuts or something like it was mm-hmm. just for the act of eating and distracting myself. Yeah. So it's not like, like it's always a an- I'm trying to use the right wording here because there's like no good or bad foods, but it's not mm-hmm. like it's those junk foods all the time. Yeah, um, It could be like berries that you're just like eating more than you need or you're not eating because you're actually genuinely hungry. It's the emotional eating yeah. coming in. Yep. So it is really important to recognize that even if mm-hmm. you don't think you fit the textbook picture of emotional eating or whatever it may be, there could be some – like something playing under the surface, you could still be doing it, but just turning to a different type of food and then yeah. being like, oh, but because that's a healthy food, it's fine, right? It's like, oh, well, like, where's it coming from?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and, <laughs> on, and on a biological level, were you eating for hunger?
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, and like knowing the difference between actual hunger and yeah. emotional hunger, that in itself is one of the first things I teach people yeah. because it's like, we've got to be able to differentiate them because sometimes we don't realize when we're emotional eating and we yeah. find ourselves eating and then we're like, wait, was I even hungry? And it wasn't until after that we realized. Yeah, um, and just starting to be able to recognize that, so that we can like be, be on the front foot and be like, oh, okay, that's not true hunger. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do instead?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. We work so similarly. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Collab coming up.
1: <laughs> it's funny because I get a lot of um. I I mean, health and wellness generally attracts a, a mostly female audience, generally speaking, and my podcast the same, and my my own programs like you know ninety nine percent you know, women and women that are much older than me often too. And I often get the comment like, so you're a man that works with emotional eating for women? Like, what do you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just funny how it's like, yeah, people, I guess, don't, uh, can't imagine a man talking about feelings
0: yeah it's crazy (laughs) Two women yeah Uh, yeah and it's just a sign of showing that like how detached as a society we are from our feelings particularly like like everyone but even like men you think about men expressing their feelings or showing their feelings and it's like oh no like they don't do that what do you mean like Mm -hmm. they have to like always be calm and strong and grounded and like that really strong masculine presence. So mm-hmm. Like, no, actually there's so much strength in the vulnerability and the emotion too. Yeah, And needing to normalize it for men as well. And like, even men might not realize their emotional eating because they're like even more detached. Like women, we might realize and we might be more like, I don't know, observant of that mm-hmm. or we talk about it more. Maybe, maybe it's simply that yeah. but it's like, there are also men who need this help too. But I love that you are helping women and like, yeah, I'm sure that all of your expertise, all of your knowledge and probably your past experience too, like would just feed into that and just being able to help you support people regardless of gender, regardless of age. Like yeah. this is the thing, like everyone can help regardless of our gender. <laughs> yeah, no, no, totally. Yeah. totally.
1: yeah, it's just a funny little little thing. But yeah. And I guess, you know, that it, it opens up an interesting conversation, you know, around men and feelings and communication. And yeah. it's like my own definition of like, you know, manliness and masculinity has totally evolved over my own healing journey. Because once yeah. upon a time it was like, yeah, no emotions, grit, strong, you know, just get get over it, get on with it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there's a place for all of it, like, right. But now I'm kind of in a place where it's like, no, I, th- I feel like the ultimate masculine thing is, capacity for compartmentalization Mm. it's like that's ultimate control of self right it's like the ability to take some massive ego trigger that's happening right now yeah and be like I'm gonna deal with that later yeah (laughs) 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 to me that's kind of masculinity it's not it's not that I'm not gonna cry at a funeral or you know not gonna be upset about a breakup or something like that it's just that it's like there's a time for that yeah to me that's how I kind of you know, apply the masculinity to emotions. Yeah. It's like it's just more structured maybe. Yeah. I don't always do well at it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're human. We're all human.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But I think I think, yeah, a lot more men would be benefit from just learning to express because I I think as well it's not even necessarily the lack of expression it's a lack of words Mm. I don't even know what the feeling is yeah like and and many of the women same that I work with like you know they might be 40s 50s 60s and grew up in a much rougher you know era or family than than I did and they might go through the week one of the program they're like I don't know what I'm feeling. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, what's a feeling? Yeah. Like, haven't felt anything for like 45 years. And you're it's, numbed out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, however, yeah, we find out that there's like lots of food, lots of Netflix, lots of social media, lots of arguing with the partner, like yeah. all these layers of escapism yeah. to get away from like, what am I feeling? Yeah. And that literacy, like it's so important to get self literate in like, what am I feeling? What's going on in my body? Yeah. Like, Yeah.
0: It's such a good point too. And even just like when you ask someone, like, how are you feeling? Like, not Mm -hmm. how are you? Like, if I genuinely ask someone, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. The response is usually good. Or if Mm -hmm. it's not so good, they're like, oh, you know, not bad. Like there might be some hesitation but it's always good or bad or okay mm-hmm. it's like but they're not feelings like yes. that's how a feeling can feel a feeling can feel good it can feel pleasant but mm-hmm. that's not the feeling like what's the actual feeling there yeah
1: yeah
0: <laughs> and like even just that distinction and people being like oh yeah good isn't an emotion like what am I feeling underneath that it's like <laughs> oh, there's some joy there or there's some excitement or 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 whatever it may be and starting to be like oh cool there's so much depth to the way that we feel
1: yeah and w- one yeah. of the th- um the things that they've found in clinical studies of um, psych therapy like psychotherapy with um trauma and that type of thing is that the people with a larger vocabulary mm-hmm. of labeling their emotions are far more likely to make progress than people with a smaller vocabulary Yeah, and so one of the things that i do in the beginning is give people the emotion wheel yes like, me too yeah <laughs> right yeah. because like because <laughs> like you said good and bad are very big categories mm-hmm. like having a slightly bad day and having the biggest trauma of your entire life, both of those fit in bad.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Right? <laughs> There's a big spectrum. There's a massive spectrum. <laughs> yeah. So if
1: we've got, if we don't have the literacy to be able to distinguish the different phases of our grief or sadness or trauma or okayness or happiness then we're not progressing we're just yeah. we're just like oscillating between good bad good bad good bad good bad yeah. and so yeah with this research that shows the more that we can communicate and identify and label which actual experience we're having right now the more likely we are to move positively to the next one
0: yeah so true yeah it's a fascinating one, isn't it? It is. This it is, is the stuff we should learn in school. Like I why know, is Like there taxes. No, yeah. Taxes, <laughs> emotions one oh one. Like where is this stuff? Totally, totally.
1: Yeah. Damn school. Not yeah. showing up for us again. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm curious. What do people think when you start like diving into emotional eating and like actually talking about emotions? Mm-hmm. Um, cause I find people often will like come to me for emotional eating, but think like the answer is in like what they're eating or be mm. like, Oh, I just need to like cut this thing out or eat this food group and I'll be fine. The cravings will be gone. I won't emotional eat. But then you actually start literally talking about emotions as emotional eating the name <laughs> suggests. <laughs> and they're like, Oh yeah. Like, what this feelings underneath this and it's like I was at that point one day too I didn't even realize that there were emotions that I was avoiding Mm -hmm. and that's why I was eating um when I was emotional eating not all the time obviously (laughs) just make sure I just (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so what's like what do people what's their response or reaction when you really do start deep diving into the emotional health and mindset work when they potentially could think they're coming for something else? Like what's your experience with that?
1: Yeah, I think people are shocked. And I even say this before people jump in. Like for the whole first month, we don't do anything to do with food. Yeah. We, I don't tell you what to eat. Yeah. And so – but people in that, that first month still – like we'll get on a coaching call and we'll do the wins, you know, like what are your wins for the week? Yeah. People be like, oh, I stopped eating this. Like <laughs> – and so they, they're still feeling that pull towards the material yeah. of like – do the action, cut the thing, like remove the bad, you know, that kind of thinking. So one of the things I have to rein in is like I have to remind people, hang on, we're not there yet. Like yeah. we're, not, <laughs> we're not doing that stuff. Like we're, we're going back to just assessing what's actually happening in your day-to-day life without changing anything. Like yeah. So I find that one of the biggest challenges is keeping people on task of going out of the emotional and into the material. Yeah. Um, and I sort of – I talk to it as well in the beginning a lot of being like your inner child mm-hmm. wants to be told what to do because that's easy. Yeah. There's no responsibility necessary. You're just like, Maddie, just tell me what to eat. Yeah. I don't have to think. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I, I so I tell people you'll feel this pull. You'll want to ask me the questions. You might get annoyed with doing the emotional work and be like, oh, just tell me what diet will make me lose weight. Yeah. Like. Like all of this will come up yeah. because it's resistance to change. It's resistance to doing things that are a bit more difficult. And in our, you know, world that we've got these days, like everything is so incredibly easy. Mm. That dopamine experience, that pleasure response, is accessible a million times a day via our phone, via 7-Eleven at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday. Like we can get it everywhere. Yeah. So conditioning people out of that rapid dopamine you know, response of like, oh, do thing, get result. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, we've actually got to spend a bit of time here and it's not sexy and it's we'll probably cry. Like, yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I find that's the big thing is that people just naturally feel pulled to be like, talk about nutrition, talk about food, tell yeah. me what to do. Am I doing the right thing? Oh, I'm doing this intermittent fasting ratio. And I'll be like, who mentioned intermittent fasting? <laughs>
0: Where'd you get that from? Yeah, like, what? Yeah.
1: <laughs> what are you doing? Come back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you have that?
0: Um... I think because once they're in, they realize that we're going deep into the emotional health Mm -hmm. world. And like my program is like not about nutrition and like Mm -hmm. I answer nutrition questions if they need it. And like there's a forum for that, Mm -hmm. but it's more about the inner work. I think once they're in and they realize they're like, oh, okay, like this is, she's not kidding. When (laughs) she says we're doing the inner work, not the outer work. (laughs) Like it's literally the inner work. And yeah, like you brought up inner child, like I have an inner child week as well. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, I feel like, They kind of just get into the groove of knowing like, oh, okay, this is about like the inner work now and Mm -hmm. knowing that the food stuff changes just by doing this inner work. Yeah. Um, and that's how I noticed the most results on my food journey as well. Like when I actually did the inner work and I stopped trying to control all the external, mm-hmm. it just fell into place. Like, nice. I, yeah, I would do this stuff for myself and then I'd be like, oh, cool. I'd show up for food differently. I show up for myself differently. Like I'm not turning to food to escape things mm-hmm. because I have these emotional processing takes, techniques and I do what I teach. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I find the women that have been through my program so far are like, yeah, they kind of get that. It's like, we're there for the inner work. We're there for the emotional health, the mindset stuff. Um, And yeah, of course there's a space for the nutrition too, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, it's like that deep dive. So I haven't had the same thing where they've like turned to the food or that's been the wins. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, I'm curious as I do work with more people through the program. Like, what changes or what I what I observe and notice. Well,
1: because I've got that combination of like we the first half is the sort of psychology, mindset, emotion stuff, yeah. and then the next half is like food. Yeah. I for a long time now you can't access anything that you're not meant to access because yeah. people like will jump in and be like, Maddie, week seven's yeah. not open. I'm like, it's day three. Yeah, it's well, like, what are you doing? Down. What yeah. are you doing? So now I just yeah. I just do not give people access because yeah, of course smart. we want to go to the easy stuff. Like, yeah. and so and my the whole philosophy is that by the time we get to the food stuff, we'll be yeah. applying a very different way of thinking, 100%. rather than like, oh, Maddie says, eat it this time, do this. Like, that's not what we want. Yeah not we want we want to apply you know the thinking of like grace and permission and kindness and yeah. listening to our body and interpreting what's going on before we engage with food and that type of thing so but yeah. if we have people jumping to the food bit they miss that yeah. so that's why they're <laughs> locked out <laughs> yeah smart
0: that's actually a good point when you mention like people skipping ahead I, one thing i do notice is um People think like, oh, cool, I've processed that one thing. Like, why isn't this fixed? And we want to jump mm-hmm. ahead to the result and be like, cool, I'm, I'm done emotional eating. It's like it doesn't happen that quickly mm-hmm. because it's like we were saying before. It's like this is a lifelong journey and it's like all our lives up until this point we've had a completely different like programming and a different mm-hmm. way of looking at food and things. So we can't just expect in like one or two weeks to be like, cool, I'm done. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've processed everything. <laughs> like, I get it. Like I, I can acknowledge when that, that inner critic comes up and be kind and flip the script and all these things. It's like, it doesn't happen overnight. It's mm-hmm. like that practice. And even you mentioned before about the neural pathways and it's mm-hmm. all about just like creating new neural pathways. And that doesn't happen overnight. That happens with a lot of repetition, just like how, habit um, formation and behaviour change. Yeah. It's repetition and consistency that gets us there. So it's more about just like staying head in, head in the game, like focusing and just doing the things and mm-hmm. doing the repetitions until, yeah. yeah, it gets easier. And, yeah, you will get to that point where you don't turn to food um, to distract from your emotions or whatever it may be. You literally are just like, cool, I got this now because I've been doing the work. I've like yeah. got these tools.
1: And I think as well, like... For people to understand too, which is something I guess that they would probably develop in both of the programs that we run is that falling off the bandwagon, you should plan for it. Mm. Like it's it's going to happen. Yeah. Like (laughs) it's like every testimonial video that's on my website Every one of them fell off the bandwagon. Yeah. Like they might have had a great experience here and here and here and here along the journey. There was plenty of times it sucked. Yeah. You know, <laughs> And it's not sexy, but that's yeah. the truth, you know, yeah. is, is that it doesn't always go perfectly. And I guess back to that fad diet culture mm-hmm. is that it's like, if you fall off the bandwagon, it's over. Yeah. Like give up anyway. Oh, well, you know, it's yeah. like sunk cost versus opportunity cost. It's like, well, oh, I've put in a week. That's not that much. I'll just go back to who I was before. Yeah, it's easier there. (laughs) That's my comfort zone. I only lost 500 bucks or 1,000 bucks or whatever it is, you know. Um, And I think, yeah, like planning to be like, okay, so this week if I get it right, two out of seven days, victory. Yeah. Rather than I'm going to fall off the – the bandwagon on Wednesday, and it's going to be over for three the years.
0: Whole, yeah, three. I was going to say the whole week, but yeah, three yeah. years. Yeah. You well, know, some people <laughs> yeah. do have like
1: they're like I tried a thing a few years ago, and then yeah, yeah just got distracted and life happened, and then so and then true. I looked in the mirror and woke up one day and was like shit. Like yeah. So it could be a long time. It could be a week. Yeah. Hopefully it's a week.
0: <laughs> and it's like. Almost retraining ourselves to look at it less of like a bandwagon, more of like this isn't a lifestyle now. Yeah. It's like this is just how I'm choosing to live going forward. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I might not live that way every single day, but that doesn't mean I just give up my whole lifestyle. It's like we just keep coming back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just keep, yeah, hopping on back on the bandwagon, knowing that it's like it's not going anywhere. Like, yeah, yeah, that's your life. Like, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) And I
1: think as well, and I I put a training in my Facebook group uh, on Monday which I was talking about the idea of should and must Mm. because we all get caught up in being pack animals in society with social media thinking that there's all these things that we should have and we should want and we should have our body like this and we should probably eat that way and I probably should do that thing for that person but unless it's a must you're never going to change it like unless you get the should to a must so there's two things to do there there's one Figure out how to get it to a must. Mm-hmm. Or actually accept that you don't want it.
0: Yeah, give yourself permission yes. not to do that. Just things. release the <laughs> yeah. tension
1: and the stress from should 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 shooting yeah. all over yourself and just be like, oh you know what, I'm just going to live like this and that's okay. Yeah, because
0: often should is coming from like a place of shame or guilt because it's like, oh, I should be doing that, which means because I'm not doing that, I'm wrong or I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, It's actually like, no, you're not. Exactly. (laughs) It's okay. Like you don't have to be doing all these things. Even we so often do think we should be doing more than we are. Like it's just like you said, we're looking at social media, we're looking at the way other people are doing things and we're like, oh, I should be doing it that way too or I should have that or xyz should be different and it's like no nah, like it doesn't have to be like we yeah. get to all make our own rules totally and take some of that pressure off ourselves because we all know we've got more than enough pressure on ourselves to begin with so yes <laughs> ease up a bit
1: there's a million things we all should be doing yeah. so just take the pressure off a little bit
0: yeah and yeah removing the shame and the guilt because the only thing coming from those is just more of an emotional burden mm-hmm. lesser of a window of tolerance and then we're turning to our things that we need like to cope yeah. So, um, yeah, the more we can just, like, take that pressure off, get rid of some of that shame, get rid of that guilt, we can just be like, oh, cool, I can breathe. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's one less thing I have to deal with or process. Or, yeah, it's okay to yeah. be me. Yeah, Who I am exactly. today is okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's massive, isn't it? It's okay to be me. Like, that alone, like, if that really lands. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's huge. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Most people are should, should, should be somebody else all of yeah. the time because they haven't confronted who they are, yeah. accepted who they are, loved who they are, respected who they are. Yeah. And interestingly, that's where the beginning to the health outcome that you want, like it, that's where it starts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's a secret to health, guys. Yeah, It, <laughs> it is. really is. It, is. Yeah. It is. it really is. Self-respect is so important, which is like the boundary stuff we were talking about before.
0: Yeah. It's all interwoven, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. I could talk about emotional eating and just have this conversation with you for literally hours, (laughs) but let's like kind of bring it to a close. And like, is there any like key things you really just wish people knew when it came to emotional eating or their relationship with food? Um, Yeah.
1: I just think ownership is really important. Mm -hmm. Like, again, with whatever narrative is true for you, Mm -hmm. like just because we're, you know, nutrition experts and, you know, good with food on Instagram like you shouldn't want what we want like want what you want and figure out what you want and explore and experiment and try but do it with curiosity do it with exploration away from that judgment that guilt and just take ownership of like this is who I am and that that is okay and and it's also okay to want to be different like and so I would just say curiosity exploration and permission for you to be you is the place to begin
0: Definitely. And yeah, from that place, like you mentioned, like it's okay to want to be different, but it needs to be from that place of love. Yes. Like uh, rather than being like, I hate myself, so I need to be different. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, cool. Like this is how I am. I love and accept myself as I am. And because I love myself and because I have so much respect for myself, I want more for myself or I want different for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And coming at it from that place as opposed to so often especially when like we've talked a lot about diet culture and when we're in the diet culture world it's coming from that place of like the hate or the punishment yeah um so yeah that ownership and just really doing it from the place of love is such a yeah good one to touch on Totally. (laughs) yeah amazing and if anyone is curious about your epic program where mm-hmm. can they find you and more about it
1: yeah cool so my website which is just mm-hmm. Um, there's plenty of info on it on the podcast too so how to not get sick and die so all the podcast platforms and facebook got a facebook group for healthy women so come hang out there as well Beautiful. um yeah on the internet amazing <laughs>
0: Perfect. And we'll pop the um, links in the show notes too. Thank you. And on the note of the podcast, is Mm -hmm. there anything that you'd love to share with us about your podcasting journey, some key takeaways from there or anything that relates, or you feel like you want to drop in this episode? My recommendation would be to go listen to it. And the episodes (laughs) I've listened to have been (laughs) epic. Like you've got some incredible guests on there, but yeah, are there any like little nuggets that you feel like you can impart or give them a little teaser for what they can expect over on your podcast platform?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, the, podcast is often called a one-stop shop which is why it's like how to not get sick and die because there's a million ways for that to be the case Yeah. Um, but also I try and do it in a very light-hearted comical way and so it's been joked many times that it should be called Maddie ruins everything <laughs> so I do a lot of myth busting in regards to it sounds not very interesting but I make it interesting yeah. um, policy and marketing myths and advertising lies and just religion and how religion has like affected the way that we do things. And so um, I go multiple layers deep as to why we understand the world of health and wellness the way that we understand it now. Yeah. Um, Just, yeah, that's how I learned to comprehend like how we got here. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, just try and touch on a bit of everything. So, yeah, we go from religion to – Gender stuff, to health and wellness, to disease, to medicine, to diet, all of the things. Yeah,
0: epic. And it's so true. Like, everything is related to our health. Mm. Like, because our health impacts everything and it's vice versa as well. Yeah. Like, all of those things are so interrelated and in the way that we show up and, like, feed ourselves or Mm -hmm. move our body or like look after ourselves. Yeah. 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 Love it. It all matters. It does. (laughs) We love our holistic health. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
1: And there's so much of it.
0: Yeah. So much. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. It's been so fun chatting about all things emotional eating. Um, Thanks for having me. It's been good talking
1: about this stuff. Yeah. We could just go and go and go on this topic. (laughs) We'll have to get you back for part two. I'm keen. I'm keen. (laughs) (laughs) Lock it in.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Maddie. See ya. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I would love for you to leave me a review via the Apple Podcast app and let me know what you think. I'm always open to feedback and if you have any dream guests or topic requests, please feel free to send me a direct message or an email. If you know anyone else that this episode could benefit, I would be so grateful if you could share it with them. Together, we can help even more people live a nourished life. Your support means so much to me and I appreciate you being here.